Many of you will remember in the late 1990s, there was a craze that swept across our nation. It was the emergence of what we call auto-stereograms. And I know many of you probably are like, I don't remember that craze. I must have completely missed it. You probably don't recognize that term, auto-stereograms. But you might recognize the term, the magic eye pictures. I don't know if you remember those from the late 1990s, the early 2000s, but magic eye pictures or auto-stereograms were really just computerized computerized generated pictures that within the picture that was just a bunch of digital dots and 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 um, shapes within those pictures was a nearly unrecognizable 3d image that if you focused long enough you could find that secret image does anybody remember auto stereograms Okay, about half of you do. I have to confess, I spent hours looking at hundreds of those things over the years because they were in doctor's offices, they were in restaurants, they were in business places, pretty much anywhere that you would go publicly in office places in particular, you would find these magic eye pictures and I would stand in front of them thinking that the joke was on me. Like I'm looking, I'm looking, my eyes are going crossed, I'm focused on this, but I cannot find this picture that everybody else seems to be able to to, to, to find. And I, I remember thinking to myself, is the joke on me? Like, is somebody playing some sort of prank? Like nobody really finds the, the secret picture within the big picture? Well, I have to tell you that the reason, after all of these years, I never found one of those secret images. And I believe the reason is, is because of this. I don't focus well. I, I just, I, I have a little bit of like ADD when it comes to things. And so I would stare at that for maybe 20 or 30 seconds and be like, no, nope, I'm moving on. I can't find it. It's not there. I just, I have a tendency to not focus very well. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of like that. Uh, I'm, I'm like the dog in the movie Up. I don't know how many of you saw the old Disney movie Up where it's like squirrel, you know, and it's off to something else. I have a little bit of that in me. So I don't focus well. And, and um, what I've learned about myself over the years, though, is that Knowing that when I set my sights on a goal, I go all in on it. And when I go all in on something, I will not fail. I will achieve. And a great example of that is about seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, when I was living in the heart of the Rockies in Southwest Colorado, I had a small group of guys that um, I did life with. We were all in a small group and our wives together. But the guys in my group decided to go on our very first um, high elevation backpacking trip. It was a two night trip and we went camping up in the high elevation. It was an amazing experience. And, uh, we were going to climb our first ever 14er. Now, if you don't know what a 14er is, it's a 14,000 foot peak in Colorado and Colorado has 58 of those peaks. And of all 58 of them, Mount Blanca was the one peak that we were going to climb. It is the fourth tallest peak in all of Colorado at 14,351 feet. And we were going to climb it. We were going to scale it. And I was just determined that we were going to, I was going to do this and I was going to find success. Folks, have you ever started something and immediately thought to yourself, good gracious, what have I gotten myself into? That was me. We got out of our truck at about 9,000 feet in elevation. We drove about as far up as we could, and we set our packs on our backs, and we started trekking up this mountain. And I got all of about 500 feet, and I realized, good gracious, what have I gotten myself into? I could not believe how difficult it was. I was 500 feet into this hike, 
And it was nothing but rocks and shale, and it was straight uphill. I had 45 pounds on my back. I was not conditioned to hike in the high elevation in the high country, and I thought I was going to die. It was the most difficult thing I had ever done. It was probably the most ridiculous thing I had ever done. But I, I, I scaled it. I, I set my sights on a goal. So we get to about 11, maybe 11,500 feet in elevation. We set up camp. I drop off all of my, all of my pack, all of that weight that I was carrying. I made it up to the base camp that we had, and we still had another 2,500 feet to climb. The next morning, we get out and we have our little day packs. It's before sunrise, and we determine we're going the rest of the way up to 14,351 feet in elevation. And I got to tell you, at 13,000 feet, your body does some really crazy stuff. I was out of breath. I was I, like, I, I couldn't find my next breath. My body was beat up. I had blisters on my feet. My, my fingers were swollen. Have you ever had your fingers swollen so bad where you feel like you can't, you can't bend them? Like they were swollen like sausages. And I just felt like, man, this is the toll that 14,000 feet takes on your body. And all I wanted to do was quit. I wanted to give up. But I thought to myself, no, I set my sights on a goal. I'm focused on this. I am going for it. I'm going to realize the prize. And so literally, one step at a time. I got to about 13,500 feet in elevation. And I remember thinking to myself, just take one step. Just one step. It was that deliberate the last 500 feet or so. Just one step. Don't look back. Don't look behind you. Don't look down. Just look Ahead, And we got to the top of Mount Blanca at 14,351 feet in elevation. And I'm telling you, it was the most majestic views I had ever laid eyes on. It was worth every ounce of pain and effort that I put into it. Because at 14,000 feet, you see as far as the horizon goes, as far as your eyes will allow you, you can see everything because you are over everything. And the result of that focus that I found rewarded me with a a tremendous experience. It rewarded me with an amazing prize that was breathtaking. And in that moment, I found joy knowing that I was focused long enough to realize my prize. And this is where we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 3. Paul is in prison. Paul is writing to this church in Philippi that he pastored, that he had a special relationship with, and he knows that his his journey is kind of coming to an end. He is about to realize his eternal prize. And what we know about Paul, and we have studied many of his writings over the years, in fact, we just got out of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we saw some of his writings to those people that were so intimately special to him, Um, but we saw that that Paul, and what we know about him is that he is, he is a man of singular focus. He was defined by wanting to know Christ fully. He wanted to know the power of his resurrection. He wanted to share in the sufferings of Christ. He wanted the full experience, and there was nothing that would stop him from advancing the gospel of Jesus in his life, whether it be imprisonments, whether it be punishments, whether it be banishment, whether it be um, uh, you know, shipwrecks or beatings with rods and lashes, whether it was being left for dead multiple times, whether it was hunger, all of these different things, nothing was going to stop Paul from pursuing the thing that his life and his spirit and his soul was focused on the most. Let me ask you a question. 
Have you ever approached your Christian walk in that manner? With that kind of focus? I think we all want to know Christ, right? Like we're here because we want to know him more deeply. But in our, in our pursuits of knowing Christ, do we want all that comes with a life of journeying with Jesus? Do we want to know the power of his resurrection? Do we want to share in his sufferings? I think most of us, we want the benefits that come with knowing Jesus. We want the benefits of knowing that we have eternal life. But if we're being honest, I think a lot of us probably live distracted, unfocused Christian lives. We run as if we are sprinters that, are, that we're running a race in this Christian life more than we run as, it, as if it's a marathon that re- requires extreme focus. And this is what this life is. And I know many of you already know this because you have been marathoning with Jesus and toward Jesus for all of your days. And Paul knew that this race was a marathon. And he knew in this moment when we read in Philippians chapter 3 that his life was kind of coming toward that end. And he was about to reach that finish line of his marathon. And he wanted to show the Philippians this way of joy. He wasn't slowing down near the end. He was playing a long game. And he was going to pour out his life as an offering for Jesus Christ and the sake of the gospel. And folks, I don't know about you, but I want my journey to be uh, something that is a joy to embrace and not a job to endure. And I hope you look at your Christian faith as something that you embrace more than you endure it. But quite honestly, you know, as I look at many of you, I look around this room and many of you have walked with Jesus longer than I have. Some of you maybe twice as long as I have. And I look at you and I think, man, you are examples to me of what it looks like to sojourn with God, to walk with Christ for decades and decades. But I think that every once in a while, even you, maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years. Maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years. Maybe some of you have been a Christian for like 70 years. I think even for those of us who have been walking with Christ for all these decades, we need a reminder of why we endure, why we persevere, why we look forward to that suffering, why we put up with the heartache, why we put up with the persecution. And we need that reminder so that we can have that joy and our joy may be full and walking with Jesus. And so in Philippians chapter 3, he, Paul gives us four basic principles to a journey in joy. And so I want to point your attention to Philippians 3. And the first point that I have for you this morning is if we want a journey in joy, if we want to have a journey of joy in Christ, then we can do these four things. And the first thing is this, to admit that you haven't arrived. And I know that 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 might be hard for some of us, but we have to admit that we haven't arrived. And we've already read our text in full. And so now I want to kind of circle back and start working through it again, starting in verse 12 through the first part of verse 13. It says this, Paul's saying, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul was saying in this moment, he's like, listen, I know you look to me as an example and as a model, as a spiritual father and role model, but I have not yet arrived. I have not yet gotten to that place where I am perfected. And earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul actually gave his resume to this church. He reminded them of all the things that he had done. And he had quite an impressive resume. You know, if you were sitting at a church potluck and everybody was sharing their experience and and all the things that they have gone through and all the things that they had achieved for Christ, 
Paul would win. He would win that competition every time because of all the things that he had done. But instead of having arrogance in his life, he humbled himself. He humbled himself for the sake of the gospel. And he knew he hadn't arrived. He wasn't yet all that God wanted him to be. In fact, Paul confessed in Galatians chapter 6 that he actually had nothing to boast in except for what? The cross. The cross was his only boast. It was his only thing that he had to brag on. And I think it's, it's kind of sad how many Christians today, how many Christians think to themselves, well, I, you know, I've accepted Jesus and I've walked with Jesus. I've, I've kind of racked up some spiritual, like metaphorical gold stars. You know, I've attended church for years and I put some money in the offering plate and I've gone on some missions trips and I've suffered a little bit for Jesus. And I think maybe, you know, my time has arrived. My time has come. My best days are behind me. I've done my part. I've contributed my part. And so therefore I can kind of take the easy road. Folks, I want to remind us that we should never relent in our pursuit of Christ, no matter where you are in your journey, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, we should never stop pursuing him because this is what God's will for our lives is our sanctification. And our sanctification is progressive. Yes, he saved us at that moment where, where, where we confessed our sins and we relented and we surrendered to him. But as we journey through this life, we are progressively growing in Christ and being separated from the world. And so sanctification is really a lifelong journey. And I'm reminded of this. I was reminded of this, man, probably about 14 years ago. You know, from the, from the very moment or the days that our girls were very young, I have three daughters, and when they were very young, my wife and I, we were determined that we were going to raise our girls in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We wanted them to fear God. We wanted them to learn how to walk in obedience to their heavenly father. And what that meant was, is that when they were two and three and four and five years old, they had to learn how to walk in obedience to their earthly father. Like I had to be that example to them. And so we made them toe the line. We had a lot of people that looked at us when our girls were very young and say, why are you so strict? Man, we had standards and we expected them to live up to those. We set boundaries. We had high expectations. We disciplined them faithfully. And we modeled for them what it looked like to follow Jesus. So we were strict with our girls. And above everything, we demanded obedience. And I told our girls from a very young age, they would even tell you that this is true. That in our household, I was the judge, jury, and executioner. And I don't negotiate with terrorists. And so I told them these things. And they knew, like, dad is in charge. And so when dad says to jump, you say, how high? That kind of thing. And so I was reminded of how difficult it is sometimes growing when my oldest daughter, Sydney, who's now 19, almost 20 years old, she was five years old at the time, and she kind of got out of line, and I had to give her a little pep talk. And by pep talk, I mean a lecture. And by lecture, I mean I yelled at her. And by yelling at her, I mean I really let her have it. And she was in tears, and I just, you know, I went on for probably 20, 25 minutes just kind of like making sure she understood why what she did was not uh, was not appropriate, was not acceptable in our household. At the end of my little pep talk, Sydney is just in full-on tears. And I looked at her, and she, she just looks up at me, and she's like, be patient with me, Daddy. I'm still growing. 
I'm like, you little turd. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not even fair. You can't say that to me. And, and she just like, I melted in that moment to where I remember that moment 14 years later. And isn't that the way it is in our walk with Jesus and our walk with God? Don't we ever, every once in a while, kind of get off track and God has to kind of pull us back into the fold. He has to kind of correct us. He has to kind of like redirect our paths. And don't we have to every once in a while say to him, be patient with me, God, I'm still growing. Aren't you so grateful for the grace of God who is patient and long suffering with you? That he allows you to grow through your mistakes. That he allows you to learn as we go. We're all still growing. And I can tell you, one of the biggest assets of our discipleship over the years is the gift of humility. Being willing to admit, I still haven't arrived. And I don't, folks, I don't think any of us have fully arrived at that place. God wants our growth to be continual. He wants it to be progressive. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this. This is Paul again saying, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying. We are being, as Christ followers, we are being transformed. This is an ongoing thing that happens in our lives when we journey with Christ. But we first have to admit that we have not yet arrived. And folks, not a one of you in this place, while you're still in this broken, mortal, earthly body, not a one of you have fully arrived yet. One day you will. One day you will realize that full sanctification and you will be glorified in your bodies and we will be one with Jesus, our our heavenly father in heaven. But we're not there yet. We have to admit that we have not yet arrived. The second principle, if we want to journey in joy, is to accept the gift of forgetfulness and acquire a passion for the prize. You know, the older I get, I'm now in my mid-40s, and I know some of you will laugh at this and be like, oh, he's just a young pup. But I realize, man, I forget a lot of details over the years. There's a lot of things that I do not remember. And I think that sometimes that's a curse, but sometimes it's a real blessing to be able to forget the things that we have um, passed from. In fact, let's look at Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in the second part of verse 13. It says this, But one thing I do, he's already admitted I haven't yet arrived, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul illustrates for us what it looks like to be a runner and to have success in a race, whether it's physical or spiritual. Paul had runner's amnesia. He forgot what was behind and he was quick to let go of yesterday. He was quick to forget his failures and to keep short accounts of his successes with God because he knew that God had more for him in the future. And so what God had done in the past, he was grateful for it and he certainly remembered it, but he didn't focus on those good things and he certainly didn't focus on his sinful past as a rebel, as a hater of God, as a hater of Jesus. You know, as I think about uh, my experience in hiking Mount Blanca, and I remember those moments, and I had a lot of them, along that path up that mountain where I wanted to quit. You know, I remember watching those guys that were in my small group. Every one of them were natives of Colorado, and they just seemed to, like, be able to naturally hike, and they seemed to have, you know, twice the, the lung capacity that I had. And I just remember thinking, 
they're going to leave me behind and I'm just going to die here on the side of the trail. I just wanted to quit. But the fact of the matter is, is that I knew that I needed to press on. I needed to forget the last steps that I had just taken and take one more step. To take one more step ahead. I remember thinking to myself, keep looking forward. Don't look back. Don't look down. Don't look to the distractions of yesterday because that was behind you or is behind you. You only need to look forward to what is ahead of you. Folks, what are the, fast, the, the past failures that you need to let go of? What are the things that are holding you back? Maybe the, the, the sins or the iniquities of your past before Christ that you're still holding on to that you need to forget. Folks, it's time for us to forget the burdens of our past and to remember who God says we are. And let me tell you, you are no longer an adulterer. You are no longer an addict. You are no longer a gossip or an abuser or an afflictor or a failure. You are no longer a slave to the strongholds of your past because in Christ you have been given victory and you have been made clean. You have been made new. So forget that person that's in the past and remember what Christ has done for you because God forgave that person. So put off the past you and put on Christ. You know, Paul has... Every reason to be ruined by his past, doesn't he? You know, we see a lot of his successes and we celebrate all the great things that Paul did. But think about what he had to overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about the memories of what he had done. The people that he persecuted. The people that he killed. The people that he had others kill. And his attitude toward those martyrs. He was proud of what he did before Christ. He was proud of the fact that he killed Christians. Imagine how that would weigh on you. Imagine how that would affect you. It must have been a really difficult thing for for Paul to let go of those things, but somehow God gave him the grace to be able to forget what was behind. He gave him the gift of forgetfulness. And on the flip side, Paul did a lot of really, really cool things for the Lord. He was obviously one of uh, Christianity's greatest missionaries, one of Christianity's greatest church planners. He wrote over half of the New Testament. He has all of these things on his resume that we would look to and say, man, if I could just achieve that, that would be the ultimate for me to become like Paul. He had many victories that could cause him to boast or to coast, but he did neither. He didn't lean on his past achievements as, a, as an excuse for complacency. And I think it's easy for us sometimes to say, man, I've done all of this. Man, I've walked with Jesus for 20 years now. Man, I've, I've been a part of this church for 50 years. Man, I helped build this place. Do you realize how much I've given? Do you realize how many, how many wounds I have because of walking with Jesus, spiritual, physical, emotional? Do you realize how much I sacrificed to build crossroads, to be a part of OCF? Do you realize all of the good things that I did for God? And it's easy for us to get into this mindset of, man, I have done all of these great things. Look at my resume. I think I've done my part. I think my best days are behind me. Now I can put it on cruise control. Church, One of the biggest dangers of any church is that we no longer have a first-generation mentality, but we have a second-generation mentality. And Crossroads now is in its second generation. We're 26 years old, and we are now in the second generation. And the danger for us is that we might look and say, you know what, all those people 25 years ago, they sacrificed, and we get to reap the benefits, and now we just kind of get to coast. 
We get to live on their sacrifice, their works, their efforts, their, their contribution. And now we just kind of get to coast. Folks, may we never be a second or a third generation church that just lives on the victories of the past because there is always one more person to reach. There is always one more who needs Jesus. There's always one more who needs to be served. There's always one more who needs to be discipled. And you all have something to continue to contribute to this church body. And I know it's easy to think, man, I don't know that I don't, I don't know that they have a need for me. I don't know that there's a place for me anymore. I've been doing this for so long. And this new generation of kids and, and, you know, whether they're 15 years old or 50 years old, you might think to yourself, well, it's their turn to take the mantle and run with it. But folks, don't you let up. Don't you relent because you still have something to contribute. But we have to keep short accounts of our past successes and we have to accept the gift of forgetfulness and keep pressing on for that prize that is ahead, that crown of righteousness. The third principle in a journey of joy is attach yourself to faithful followers. I love what Paul goes on to say in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And this is Paul, he's not propping himself up. He's not saying, "Hey, I'm really something special." Like when you hear from me, when you have a relationship with me, that's really special. He's not bragging about himself, but what he's saying is, "I'm putting the responsibility on me because I take it that serious and I believe that much and God has gifted me with this ability." He's saying, "Don't just admire me, but model your life after me. Follow me as I show you how to walk with Jesus. And he invited these Philippians into his journey of walking with Jesus. And he did this in just about every city that he went into. Every time he would plant a church, every time he would serve a body of believers, every time he would pour his heart out writing to these different churches, he would invite them and invest in them to become a part of what he was pursuing after. He invested in these people and he discipled them and he attached himself intimately to these different churches. Folks, I believe that spiritual attachment is something that is seriously underestimated in our culture. Do you want to know what's contributed probably more to my discipleship than anything else? More than, you know, um, a lot of time reading the Bible, more than prayer, more than memorizing scripture through Awanas when I was a child, more than my youth group in my teenage years, more than my years in Bible college, more than that degree in Bible, the things that has contributed more to my discipleship than all of those things, which would seem obvious, is people like you. You have helped disciple me. The body of Christ has helped make me who I am today. It's faithful followers just like you who I've attached myself to over the years in a covenant of fellowship that have modeled repentance, that have served alongside of me, that have studied scripture with me, that have exhorted me to good works, that have called me out on sin. Those are the things, those are the people that have contributed to my discipleship. It's faithful followers just like you. And, and folks, I could come up with a list of 25 people right now if I had to. People that poured into my life. Guys in my small group. Guys like Jackson and Tyler and Will and Reland and Cole and Justin. 
These were guys that I just did life with. And we studied God's word together with our spouses in small group. And we hiked mountains together. And we just journeyed through life. These are the guys that made me who I am today as I pursued after Christ. We pursued Christ together. These days, it's guys that are in my core group. It's guys like John and guys like Brian and guys like Dirk and guys like Andrew, guys in my previous core groups, guys like Eric and guys like Brian and guys like Phil. These are the people that have poured into me over the years and they've shown me what it looks like to follow Jesus. And you would think, oh, Chris is the pastor. He's got it all figured out. I promise you, any of those guys will tell you, Chris is probably just about as messed up as I am. I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it figured out. Some of you in this very congregation are much more deep theologically than I am. And I can learn from you. And I have learned from other guys because I've attached myself to them saying, hey, let's follow Christ together. Folks, do you have a Christian example that you can imitate in this season in your life? Do you have someone that you look to? Maybe it's an elder. Maybe it's somebody that's younger than you. And you say, I like what I see. I see Jesus in them. I love their heart for God's word. I love their heart for prayer. I love their heart for missions. I love their heart for the body of Christ. I want to follow after that. I want to imitate that. Do you have that person? Maybe a better question is, are you that person to anyone else? Do you live a life worth imitating? Could you ever say what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ? Because that's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He told those Corinthians, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Have you ever urged anyone to follow after you as you pursue the Lord? Man, this church, it needs you. I know it's easy to sit back and think, Oh man, these younger generations, you know, they don't necessarily want to learn from us that have been around the block, that have done this for years. They think they're smarter, whatever. I think there's this misconception in the church today, especially among people that have been doing it a long time, that they think, oh, the younger, the younger adults, the younger kids, they don't want to learn from me. They don't want to hear what I have to say. I would tell you the exact opposite is actually true. I've talked to guys and ladies that have been in discipleship groups, in core groups here in our church that are multi-generational. For example, we had one group that most of the guys in that group, there were three or four of them that were in their early 20s. And they had one man in their group that was 65 years old. And they told me, it is the biggest blessing having that man in our group because he brings experience, because he brings knowledge, he brings understanding, he brings perspective and stories. We love having him in that group. Another group leader in this very room, he's got a guy that's 20 years older than the rest of them, maybe 25 years older than the rest of them. And he's told me how much of a blessing it is to be able to learn from someone that has walked with Jesus just a little bit longer than they have. Folks, are you urging anyone to follow you as you follow Christ? This church needs you. We don't have the the luxury of just mailing it in saying my best days are behind me. God wants you to be an active discipler. He wants you to live a life worthy of imitation. So what would it look like? How great would it be if you took that risk and you said, you know what? I'm going to find a group of people or I'm going to find that one man or that one woman. I'm going to go to them and I'm going to say, I want to help you. I want to pour into you. Why don't you follow me as I follow Christ? Could you imagine a church that understood what discipleship really looked like and what it really meant and took it serious? 
And we all contributed something in this process of discipleship. Folks, you still have something to offer. Number four, the last principle of a journey toward joy is adopt a kingdom living mindset. Adopt a kingdom living mindset. In verse 20 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As Paul is concluding this letter to the Philippians, he's reminding them, yes, you live in this metropolitan city called Philippi, but you are also, you are also members of a greater, uh, a greater, I, I guess, gathering, a greater group. You are, you are members of the Roman Empire. And that's a big deal. To be a part of the Roman Empire was something that was almost like a badge of honor in those days. But even more than that, Paul was saying, even more than your, your citizenship as, as, as a Roman or, or where you come from or the city that you live in, understand that even bigger than Rome, your citizenship is in heaven. Remember that you are not just a citizen of this earth, but you are a spiritual citizen of heaven. Christian, remember that we have been called to something greater. We have been called to something higher. We are not citizens of this world. We are foreigners here on alien passports, and we are just passing through. And it scares me how many of us get so comfortable. We get so comfortable getting caught up in the affairs of this world as if this is all that there is to our existence. We get caught up chasing after the pursuits of this world and we don't have that kingdom living mindset. Folks, while we're here, we are on mission. We need to have that mindset that constantly reminds us that I am here to bring glory to Christ. I am here to point people to Jesus. I am here to be a proclaimer of the gospel. This world, this existence, this life that I live is not about the bigger houses. It's not about the bigger nest egg. It's not even just about my kids and my grandkids. I am here on mission. As we wait for Jesus to return, I believe we've got to adopt a kingdom mindset that reminds us that there is more for us, that we are not to live like those of this world do. And while we're still here, we shouldn't conform to the patterns of this present age. So set your mind on things above. Like Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3. And you know what's helped me in my pursuits over the years as we kind of close things out? It's the constant reminder of what I'm fighting for. You know, as I climbed that mountain, Mount Blanca, man, I constantly reminded me. You know, when you're, when you're climbing up a mountain and there's a 14,000 foot peak in front of you, you don't miss it. Like it's constantly there in your perception. It's constantly in your, your line of sight. And I remember thinking to myself, man, that looks a long ways off, but that is my prize. That's what I'm shooting for. Anything less is failure. And I was constantly reminded that's where I'm going. Folks, we need, we need that kind of a mindset in our lives that, you know, our, our goal, our end is heaven and the glory of Jesus Christ. And we need to keep our minds focused on those pursuits. Remember why you press on. Remember why you persevere. Remember where your citizenship is. Remember what your future reward is. C.S. Lewis, the great author in the mid-1900s, he said this, He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Folks, we have to have a kingdom mindset, a reminder of this world is not our home. This is what I'm shooting for, a heavenly home. And while I'm here, I am living for this kingdom. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the season brings in your life, remember this, that the tomb is still empty, that Christ is still on the throne. And that everything else is just small stuff. And when we have this kind of a laser focus in our pursuit of Christ, that is what helps us to endure. But more than just endure, that's what helps us to find joy in the journey. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father.